Mean Old Lion Media presents Corner Table Talk. Welcome, everyone, to Corner Table Talk. I'm your host, Brad Johnson. You know, Frederick Douglass published a newspaper titled The North Star, and Harriet Tubman relied on the actual North Star in the sky to lead freedom fighters headed north along the Underground Railroad. The North Star, aside from being a landmark in the northern sky, is often a metaphor for finding your direction. People in your life can also serve in that capacity. When I think of a North Star in the form of a person, my next guest and her shining spirit has been just that for so many. On a personal note, she and her husband together have been a lucky star for me going back to the early 80s in New York City. Debbie Allen has and continues to inspire countless people around the world. When you see the faces of the dancers, some of whom start attending her dance academy at four and five years of age and stay for years, it is obvious the influence she has on these young people. Through all of her art, the thousands of people who have found employment and the pure enjoyment we all get as a result of her work makes Debbie Allen a national treasure. Preparing for the show today, I knew I wanted to try to do justice to acknowledge the immense impact she has had on so many people. To fully appreciate the gift that is Debbie Allen requires way more time and space than this podcast will allow us today. Awards, Debbie has many. They include multiple Emmys, Gershwin Lifetime Musical Achievement Award, 10 NAACP Image Awards across a range of creative endeavors, including choreographing the Academy Awards a record 10 times. And yes, there is a Debbie Allen star on the Hollywood Walk of Fame. She earned a BA in classical Greek literature. I did not know that. In speech from Howard University, she holds an honorary doctorate from the North Carolina School of the Arts, as well as from her alma mater, Howard. Debbie's credits as a producer, choreographer, dancer, director, and actor are way too numerous to list, but the most recent honor being recognized by the Kennedy Center, the nation's highest artistic award as a 2020 honoree, is a fitting testament to the amazing professional life of Debbie Allen. Debbie also owns and operates the Debbie Allen Dance Academy with her husband, my buddy, Norm Nixon, Debbie is a daughter, sister, mother, grandmother, and wife, and I am honored to call her a friend. Hey, Debbie, welcome to Corner Table Talk. Thank you so much for joining me today. Wow, Brad, what an introduction. <laughs> oh, my God. Did I, I know I missed some stuff, but I tried. <laughs> you did great. Okay. I'll be your northern star. I will be that for you today. That's so nice. <laughs> Thank you, Debbie. Well, you are for so many. And uh, um, thank you. So Debbie, I kick things off with um, what I call short order questions, just a few things to get us rolling. So out of the box, what is in heavy rotation on your playlist these days? So my playlist right now is pretty wide and broad between getting ready to go into season 18 for Grey's Anatomy, finishing rewrite on a script that I'm Hopefully going to be shooting a movie for ABC. Uh, post-production as one of the directors on Sam Jackson's Memories. And certainly the Debbie Allen Dance Academy Summer Intensive. We're going to explore In the Heights and doing all that staging. And then my greatest and my biggest heartbeat right now is my grandkids. I have two, Shiloh and Avia, the children of my daughter Vivian. And uh, I took... I. I Kept Shiloh last night. I took her to her school before I came into the studio. 
and I'll be picking her up at the end of the day. So that's my playlist right now. It's pretty wild. <laughs> I would say, Debbie, you know, but I, I love it. I've seen pictures of the grandkids. I have not met them yet, but uh, just absolutely adorable. Debbie, what, uh, what time of day do you feel most creatively inspired? Well, Brad, time of day varies. It's creativity is in the moment and it comes when it comes. I'm just also getting ready to start writing my autobiography. I started working on it. And there are some things that might trigger me right in the very beginning of the day, in the early mornings, but then it might trigger me after a conversation with someone that rem that reminds me of something that's important. I think it's not so much the time of day as it is the time of day when you can have peace, meaning no interruptions, no phone calls, no interviews, no one asking you to do something. So whenever you can get that kind of isolated downtime is when is a good time to work things out. Well, that kind of slides maybe into my next question. Uh, maybe not, but describe a perfect morning for you, Debbie. <laughs> well, when you say perfect morning, what I want it to be or what it is. And it's a family show. <laughs> okay, what it is, is uh, my daily, I wake up and I look over and I see my husband. He's always up a little bit early on his way to the track and we hug and snuggle and talk about the day. And then I make up the bed and then I go to my computer or I'm getting Shiloh dressed. I see my mom, 97. Uh, we have morning uh, chat um, and then I go to work depending on what I'm doing that day. I might be choreographing Tyler Perry's Jazz Man. I might be writing on my book that I hope to come out with in about a year. I might be in a think tank on Dada. I'm probably in the car on my way to Dada, which is where I am now. I will spend the day here and I will do various things, a podcast with you, an interview with Forbes Magazine, teaching a class, uh, working on the study guide. I make the kids take a test. And at the end of the day, I'm going to have dinner with Lee Daniels and we'll ha ha and hee hee. And then I'll go home. <laughs> a day in the life of Debbie Allen. That's a show in and of itself. So Debbie, tell me the, the traits that you value most in a friend. Oh, what I value is, is, um, Ooh, I think unconditional love with real friends because there are times when things could be good, times could be bad. I, I, I really like um, discretion and that, that you could share something with someone and it stays private with them, that they don't share your secrets, someone you can trust. So trust, trust, and um, you know, just trust and understanding. That might lead you to a lot of things. I mean, one of a person that I loved a lot recently died, Paul Mooney. And our relationship was based on straight up honesty, laughter, and, uh, you know, a contest of truths. We didn't always see things the same way. We'd argue uh, a bit, but I, I loved his mind. My very best friend in life is my sister, Felicia Rashad. I can trust her with my most intimate secrets. She with mine, mine with her. Um, and we have a lot of the same things in common, raising our children at a time of uncertainty, a time of, you know, great opportunity. We both have 
at this point in our lives, a plate that is so full. She just took on being the dean of the uh, School of Fine Arts at Howard University. Huge undertaking, huge trust and understanding. Okay. Yeah, I, I can appreciate that, especially discretion, I think. And when someone like yourself who lives such a public life, uh, when you do get a chance to, to spend that intimate time, you want to know that uh, those intimate conversations will remain will remain just that. Um, tell me, Debbie, your fondest childhood memory around food. Anything come to mind? Around food would have to be in Louisiana, where we had the family farm, my Aunt Fanny, my Uncle Ferdy. And Aunt Fanny would wring that chicken's neck, <laughs> pluck it in the pot. It was so sweet and tender. She made the best succotash. She made the best uh, corn pone and handmade ice cream. So the food in Louisiana is um, something that I delight in as from childhood. Is that where you pick up some of your, your skills from? Because Norm always talks. He says, my wife can throw down. <laughs> yes. You know, I can make the gumbo. I can make, but we don't have everything here. We don't have crawfish here in California. We don't, you got to have them fresh to make some of the things like crawfish etouffee. But I can make a lot of really good food and um, fried oysters, those po' boy sandwiches. I can make all of that. And I make really good drinks too. My Aunt Fanny, they, there wasn't any drinking going on. It was always lemonade. But um yeah. That's why all of you always look so young. Your skin, you and your sister, every your mom, your skin is just is just beautiful. All right, last one of these, because I have a bunch of things I want to get to, Debbie. Who past or present would you most like to host at an intimate dinner party? Wow. An intimate dinner party. Who I want to talk to. Well, I think I would pick somebody that I hadn't talked to that or that I want to get more from. I would say I would pick Lena Horn. Lena Horn and I were friends. She would come to all of my shows. She would, uh, I would come to see her. She called me her bad girl. Uh, but I never spent as much time with her as I really wanted to. And her stories were immense. So I'd say Lena Horn. Yeah, that would that would be a wonderful to, a fly to be on the wall of that. That conversation would be fantastic. So, Debbie, I want to move into the conversation here. And, um, you know, both of your parents were, were highly accomplished. Your dad, Andrew Allen, was an orthodontist and your mom, Vivian, a Pulitzer Prize nominated artist, poet, playwright, scholar and publisher. Um, so, you know, the, the stock that you come from certainly uh, certainly is formidable. You recently sent me a picture of you and your mom who's turning, as you mentioned. Is she turning 98 soon? She's turning 98 in July. We're going to have a big party. Wow. And, you know, you were both watching the televised broadcast of your uh, Kennedy Center honors. And so I just wanted to ask first, how's your mom doing? Mom is great. She's great. I gave her a big kiss this morning before I left. She's, she's great. I mean, she's living here with me. Uh, because it's it's a support system that I think she deserves to have. She's happy to be in Chester, where she has her, her home and all of her things, and uh, Brainerd, which she's very actively engaged in reinventing. That was one of the first uh, wonderful schools that educated Blacks after the Civil War, is where the word nerd came from, because everybody out of that school was smart, everybody. And so um, it's a blessing to have Mommy with me still. 
Yeah, that's so special. You know, I, I cherish the uh, the photo I have of your mom, my mom, Norm, you and me. We were all dressed up in our formal attire at Georgia, our restaurant, for the post-Oscar party that uh, we threw after attending the Academy Awards that you choreographed. That was just one incredible night. Do you remember that day? I know you've had many, but that was one that just stands out for me. When you walk in my house, that's the first picture you see. It's right there. Your, your mom, you, me, mama. Your mother, Phyllis, was so beautiful and such an, a, a ball of energy and light. She was always so positive. Your mom was so special. I will always think of her that way. Well, she loved you too, Debbie. She did. And, and you came to see her in her final days. And that, that meant uh, everything to, to both her and, and I. So I, I thank you for that. So what, what can you share about having your mom and your dad uh, growing up in Houston, them to look up to? I knew you, I know you grew up during, you know, it was still, there was still segregation uh, going on in, in, you know, during that time. But, you know, it's an incredible household that with parents like that. And just tell, can you, can you share a little bit about what the Allen household was like? Well, you have to, to be totally transparent and honest. There were two households because mom and dad divorced. And so we would spend half the time with mom and half the time with dad. And it was really fun because we got tired of her. We could go to him. And when we got tired of him, we'd go back home. It was a very close-knit family, even after they divorced. They divorced when I was probably around five years old, uh, but I grew up with both of them. So it wasn't like the household you might think was the perfect household. It was not that, but it was perfect in that we had two parents who were totally involved in every aspect of our lives, and they engaged with each other throughout their, regardless of their differences. And we grew up with a family. My dad was one of 10 children and my grandmother and my grandfather, their house, their siblings lived with them. So we had a whole big Allen family with my aunt, my aunt Betty, my aunt Ciola, my uncle Lloyd, my uncle Charlie, uh, uncle Joe. Um, they were all there and all my cousins. So we grew up with a real sense of family even though my parents were divorced. You know, I recently, I listened to a conversation that uh, you and Felicia had recently talking about school, talking about grammar school and growing up during the time of segregation and, and how even then though the schools had arts programs and it just, you know, of course makes me think of how, how important that is, but um, to have that as part of the curriculum. But when did you first experience the arts, Debbie? Well, my mother was in an incredible classical pianist. I remember being, I can remember being three and a half, almost four years old, laying in her lap, listening to her playing Rhapsody in Blue. I remember my father being such jazz aficionado, hearing Miles, hearing Shorty Rogers and uh, the jazz music and a lot of Johnny Mathis. And certainly for me, I had a sense of myself as a dancer from the minute I could walk. I think I was dancing. I think I was actually dancing before I had lessons. And my mom tells a story about how I was begging for lessons so I could become who I wanted to become after seeing the influence of musical films because the theaters were segregated. It wasn't like we saw Broadway shows or got to go to a dance concert. There was no Alvin Ailey American Dance Theater at that time. Catherine Dunham certainly was uh, quite uh, uh, an iconic 
symbol and, and uh, accomplished artist in the world of dance in America, but we didn't get to see her in her company. They weren't coming to Houston, Texas. So it was quite a, a journey to get to where I am now with a lot of help from my mom, my dad, and my whole family. But you, but you had some idea like very early on that this is, this is who I am. This is what I'm going to do. This is what I want to be. Yes. My first class was a tap class and I definitely wanted to replace Shirley Temple. I'm like, the hell? Why can't I go up and down those steps with that beautiful black man, Bill Robinson? I want to be there. So that, you know, it, it's very, that's why it's so important. Why I work so hard with what I do. It's important for young people to see an image of themselves. Because if you see an image of yourself doing what you can do, it will inspire you. And I know that fame, that work I did on fame, it inspired generations uh, from people from Little Kim to Queen Latifah. I mean, it's a long, long list. Uh, even Sheryl Crow, the singer, it's a lot of people that have come up to me to say that they watched Fame and it made them want to do all of the things they're doing now. No, oh, I bet. It was like a Rocky moment. You know, it was just like him at the top of the stairs. It was you in that, that class. And the, yeah, it was it was one of those cultural shifting moments. Um, so, Debbie, on, let, let's segue over to Dada. Your dance, the Debbie Allen Dance Academy. You know, I, I watched the Nutcracker, which, you know, I just love the documentary uh, that, that uh, you did over at Netflix. So what is what age did the, did the young folks start there? What's the, what's the youngest dancer that uh, that you have at, at Dada? Well, you know, Brad, I made a, a, a kind of a pattern of saying four-year-olds to seven-year-olds, early birds. But And I, I looked up one day and I said, Vivian, Vivian, my daughter who was teaching the class, I said, is that baby in a diaper? Are you, t- what, what, what is going on here? We had a two and a half-year-old. I said, Vivian, she said, mom, but she's, she's better than some of these four and five-year-olds. And I watched her. I'm like, okay, I'm gonna pretend I don't see her. So we then started a new class the pre-early birds, so we can have the two-and-a-half-year-olds come. So we actually have two-and-a-half and three-year-olds starting dance with us. And um, after COVID, uh, during COVID, we kept classes going, but now we're going to be back in the studio. So we hope that parents will come and bring their kids to us. We feel very safe. We haven't had one incident of COVID in, in all this time. We've been very good. You know, I, I, rem- I mentioned, you know, you and Norm as my lucky star and, and uh, you know, I've followed you guys and we've been, you know, in business together through the years. But certainly when I considered, you know, opening up Post and Beam, the fact that you and Norm were, you know, right across the parking lot, you know, was was I, I knew that that was where I was supposed to be. And, you know, I just remember the first few nights walking out at night and or I'd walk over to, to Dada and, you know, see the little ballerinas or, or hear the African drums. And, you know, the moms would come over and there were folks from all over the world that, you know, would, would were coming to, to bring their kids there. But, you know, the, the Dance Academy, Debbie, is just it's so much more than just a dance academy. I mean, I watch how you are with these young ladies and young men and you're teaching them about life. You're, you're dropping like life lesson knowledge on them constantly. You and you are serious. You know, I, I mean, you work when you work, you work. So how how is that environment for you? It just looks like, you know, like a, a special place to be. It's loaded with beautiful young faces that just look at you in awe and they love you, but they they know that they better listen when Miss Allen says, you got to be on time. It's a blessing to do this work, Brad, I have to tell you. It's a whole new purpose in life for me. We're, we've been 
we're 20, we celebrated 20 years in uh, November, last November, in the middle of COVID, in a parking lot show at the Rose Bowl. Uh, but I feel that in my heart, I'm still one of those kids and I'm still looking for that opportunity. How am I going to get to class? Who's going to help me get to where I'm trying to go? And so for me, every day that I'm here, living and breathing and can go in that studio or bring the masters to these young people, I am helping my world be a better place. Because when you train in the arts, you're not only just doing something wonderful, but you're finding your own voice and creativity and you're emulating the beauty and also, you know, addressing the conflicts in the world. So your whole, you know, you're a human being that is being developed 360 degrees and then some. So for me, I feel, um, I just get so excited and emotional for all of my students when they are accomplishing, when they go from, you know, all of a sudden being able to do a turn or being able to really command a time step. Or when I see them after I've trained them for years, starring in their own show on Netflix, Kylie Jefferson, or or uh, becoming this incredible actress, um, it's uh, Taylor Page. Or there's so many young people that uh, I've watched. They've been in Hamilton. They've been in Wicked. They've been in in the Heights. They're they're everywhere. And so I feel like I am a breeding ground for innovation and possibility. That's what we do here. Yes, you are, Debbie. You know, I, I recently watched the uh, documentary, um, Mary J. Blige, her life story. It's really good. I don't know if you've seen it yet, but I think you would enjoy it. But, you know, she talks about she did not smile. She said her entire teenage, all throughout being a teenager, she didn't smile. And she there were pictures of her showing her not smiling. And when I, when I, watching the Nutcracker and seeing those little faces that, you know, in dress rehearsal or in hair and makeup and the, or you walking up to one of the dancers and saying, you, you are beautiful. You know, you, you're, you're reinforcing something and, and they're, I just see the way that they respond to you. And I think of, you know, how many gems get lost when they don't have the arts or there's not a Debbie Allen to inspire them. And, and it just, the work that you do, Debbie, is just so it's just so amazing. And I just wanted to, um, you know, to acknowledge that. And you have you have some incredible people that um, back you and, and are that that are involved at the Dance Academy. Some really big names, the Annenbergs, the Washingtons, but also some pillars of our community like Lloyd and Sally Gregg and Lem Daniels. I mean, you know, you, you just you've attracted such an array of people, Debbie, throughout throughout your all. All of your endeavors. Yeah, I mean, I'm grateful for the support. Uh, Shonda Rhimes, uh, I've trained all of her children, and it's really through that training, uh, just dealing with her as a parent, not as the Shonda Rhimes, but as that good mother that she is who's concerned about her kids and actually sits here reading a book while they take class. Uh, we were lucky enough to have Miss Wallace Annenberg support over the years, Barry Gordy over the years. Target, so many. And Shonda Rhimes saw us crowded in that studio trying to rehearse. And we know we needed a space and we didn't have the money. And she bought a building and gave it to us. She bought a building, Brad, gave it to us. And then the work started because we had to, we needed to tear it down and make it what it could be. And then COVID hit and everything shut down. We were on our way to raising Kobe Bryant 
Bryant, Colby Bryant and I were really getting to be fast friends and collaborators. He wanted to turn his first book into an incredible musical that I was going to help him create. And he also loved what we were doing here at Dada. He was, he, uh, Wallace Annenberg, and he, they each committed a million dollars to building this building. And then we lost Kobe and, uh, you know, the world just shifted with COVID. My husband, Norman Nixon, has been so great with his understanding of business and between us and all the people that we have been able to continue to draw support. We just recently got a grant from the state, California, and in the millions of dollars to help us build this building. This just happened, Brad, yesterday. Just happened yesterday. And so now we can focus our effort on our fundraising for the programming. It's one thing to build a building, but the programming has to happen, you know, because we're a nonprofit. You know, I remember when I opened the school and somebody said, you know, Debbie, why are you nonprofit? You could make a lot of money. I said, I didn't do this to make money. I did this to make a difference. And so most of our school students are scholarshiped. And uh, like you say, there's not enough of this for our community. You know, the arts is the first thing that gets extracted from the public schools. And it's one of the most important things that needs to be there. It needs to be in every public school, music, dance, art, filmmaking, all of those things, along with, you know, uh, other skills that they can learn. They want to learn how to build a computer or a car. You know, there's a new technology. Kids need to go to school and come out with a sense of themselves and some kind of skill set, not just being challenged by another SAT test, not just being challenged by where can your parents afford to send you to school, because that's a big problem. We get our kids all the way up here, and then they all get accepted to college. Our kids academically achieve greater levels of academia excellence after being in the arts. But how do they get to college? Who's going to pay for that? We just have a long way to go. And one step, big step that we just took with, my God, California, the state of California, there's still more big steps to take because we got to take them all the way to the finish line. We have to create an opportunity and the possibility for these kids to get all the way across, not just all the way up and then get slide back down the hill. No, we got to get them all the way. So um, I will. So Debbie, the, the new, the new facility that you're mentioning and, and of course Shonda rhymes, I mean, you know, that's just incredible, an incredible gesture. And I'm sure with COVID and the setbacks and all that, but you know, you just have a way of persevering and, and you attract so much to you. Um, but what, what can you tell us about what the new facility is going to be? What's it going to be called? What kind of programs there? What, what are you most excited about? I'm just excited that we're going to have a facility that is going to be large enough and technically proficient so that we can be on board and in pocket with where we are right now. I mean, sometimes in this building, the, 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 the signal doesn't work. It's kind of a, a dinosaur. The wiring, the electrical wiring is a dinosaur. So we're going to build what we're building is going to be called the shop the Rhymes Performing Arts Center, the Rhymes Performing Arts Center that houses the Debbie Allen Dance Academy. And I will be running an incredible organization that is gonna open the first, we're gonna have a middle school that we start in September, starting with the sixth grade. The next year we'll have six and seven, then next year six, seven, eight. Then we'll have the most uh, robust academic 
curriculum and exciting way to teach kids along with them getting the arts. We're going to have more uh, possibility of community involvement and engagement. If the community, if something happens in the community, they need some place to meet, they can come to DARA. We're going to have jazz. Uh, Arturo Sandoval, who's on our board, is going to curate uh, a jazz uh, intensive twice a year, which will, you know, engage the most incredible professionals along with master classes and conversations. We're going to have art like you've never seen. We're going to do art exhibits. We're going to um, do a place to develop new theater pieces, a place to develop new film. So screenwriting, playwriting, a place where young people can learn technically how do you light for the theater? How do you do sound? So we want to be able to, you know, open that whole thing up so this oyster becomes a big pearl for the community. That's what's getting ready to happen. We're already that, but we're so cramped and crowded. I mean, you should see my office. I mean, I have, it looks like a daycare center in here. <laughs> Everybody puts everything my office because there's nowhere to go. There's nowhere to put it in. Kudos, Debbie, to the state of California for recognizing how important that this is, you know, and and entrust this in your hands, I think, is a, is a very safe place. And, you know, on that note, I just wanted to, you know, I wanted to get a sense from you. You know, you are such a draw, Debbie, and there's so much, there's, there's just this like sense of power around you. And you know, pe- things come to you, people gravitate to you. Are you aware of that? Do you feel that? Is that something that you are, you wake up in the morning and you say, oh, I'm Debbie Allen, that things, you know, things just find me, they come to me. What uh, you have to be aware of, of how the, the world seems to gravitate towards you. I would say, you know, it's very interesting. Um, a friend of mine after after the Kennedy's honor, Kennedy Center Honors, a very good friend of mine, Johnny Simmons, who's one of the best DPs in the business, just started directing, sent me a note of congratulations. And he described me in a way that I never thought about myself. And he said to me that I was a son and that around me, there was a universe that was spinning around me that I was nurturing. And that was a great metaphor that I never thought of myself that way. I don't think of myself that way. I just think about the work at hand. What do I have to do today? What is my accomplishment? You know, one day at a time, but also I have a, a schematic of how, what I have to do in a period of time. So I, I, um, I'm a humble person. I, you know, I'm approachable, which is something that people don't expect. People can walk up and talk to me and I walk around with bodyguards and all that, you know, you are very accessible, both both you and Norm. And, you know, I, I, that's the metaphor I was I was reaching for with with my North Star, um, you know, just how, you know, you are that that star in the sky that that people want to keep moving in the direction of. But, you know, life still throws us all curveballs. And as as uh, Marvin Gaye says, there's only three things that's for sure as taxes, death and trouble. Yet, you know, you're this pillar of strength, Debbie, for so many. And I, and I just want to know what keeps you going and what have you learned about life along the way? Well, what I know about life is that it's unpredictable and the best laid plans will change. And it's about being a dancer, no matter what you think you are, being able to kick ball change, kick ball change and get to the next step, kick ball change and leap over 
whatever that obstacle is. Kickball change and drop down if you need to lay down. Being flexible, being able to move in whatever direction allows you to keep going forward. That's what I've learned. And it's not so easy. And it means that you have to be humble. And sometimes you have to take setbacks. You know, I mean, I've had setbacks this year. Uh, Things that were unexpected, maybe even a little hurtful. But what do you do? You have to pull up and keep plowing. you got to keep your hands on the plow. That's what John Hope Franklin taught me. He was the great historian, uh, incredible man. He was one of our advisors on Amistad. And we remained friends until his passing. But he taught me that phrase. Miss little one, you've got to keep your hands on the plow. That means you've got to be ready to work. It's not just going to come to you. So, yeah, I, I love the dancing analogy too, you know, and, and being just knowing that you got to keep taking that step. You got to twirl. Sometimes you got to spin. You got to take a step back, but you're going to keep that motion. So, Debbie, I, I know we're, we're getting close here on time. I want to mention a few names here and just get your, you know, your thoughts. Um, Jean Anthony Ray. Oh, God, you'll make me cry. Jean Anthony Ray was like one of my children. And from the moment we met, on the set of the movie fame, I was taking care of him. Because he didn't know he had to do it like five or six times. And I was white patting him down with an ice pack on his neck. And and our relationship grew all the way through fame. And uh, he was he was just like a supernova, his energy. And we lost him way too soon. And it was very painful for me personally to lose him. Yeah, just an incredible spirit. He would come in the restaurant at the maitre d' stand and do some flying kick, you know, like when he walked through the door. You remember what, just something wild, some move. He was he was a character, man. I, I have very fond memories of him through you. Thank you. Um, Gregory Hines. Oh, Gregory. Oh, my God. The smooth operator. Oh, my God. A power just iconic with his style of tap dancing brought in that African rhythm, really full force and front and center and such a beautiful actor, great singer. But he was a smooth operator. Let me just say that. That's Gregory. (laughs) (laughs) He was elegant, I would say. Yeah. All right. Next one, Sandy Gallon. Oh, Sandy. Fedora was his nickname. Sandy Gallon was one of, inarguably, one of the best managers in this town and in this business. He managed everybody from Patti LaBelle, Dolly Parton, Michael Jackson, Neil Diamond. I mean, the list is immense. And he managed me for a little while. And we were friends and I would hang out with him and him and it was him, it was Sandy Gallon, Barry Dilla, Calvin Klein, um, Kenny Stones. David Geffen. Yeah, David Geffen, Sandy Gallon, uh, Calvin Klein, Kenny Soames. Um, that was, they had their own little rat pack. Uh, that was a, a great, it was delightful for me to be part of that. All right, last one. And you, and you touched on him earlier, but I, I, I don't want to not mention Paul Mooney. Paul Mooney, just genius, comedian, uh, irreverent, revolutionary. I think inarguably uh, someone that pushed the envelope of uh, social justice 
through his comedy, always coming from a platform that reminded us of the plantation. And um, he was, uh, Paul was way ahead of his time and fearless. He was never afraid to state his opinion. That, that was really the word that came to mind for me. And I, and I think when you are as fearless as someone like Paul, you do, there's risk in that, right? And, and he bore that risk, but it never, he never backed down from it. That's, that's for sure. All right, Debbie. So, you know, a few of us close friends, your husband, Norm included, half kiddingly refer to this time in our lives as the fourth quarter. You know, though we're, you know, we're all doing everything that we can to enhance the possibility and good luck of longevity. You know, we laugh at times as our conversations always include various physical ailments, my hip, my knee, my shoulder. How many times did you wake up to pee in the middle of the night? You know, et cetera. Debbie, you just seem to have this unstoppable energy. And at times just it looks like there's no end in sight. And, you know, of course, your, your job is obviously not done. These, you know, so many depend on you for all the various projects that uh, that you're involved in. And, you know, especially the inspiration that uh, that you provide for young folks and, and for everyone. It just doesn't look like there's an expiration date on Debbie Allen's career anytime soon. Do you feel the sweetness, Debbie, this time in your life? I do. You know, it's very interesting, Brad. Um, some of my girlfriends, all the way from Houston that I grew up with or went to college with, those heifers are retired, talking about going on a jazz cruise. I'm like, what the hell? I wish I could go on a game. I don't have time for that. Come on, Debbie. I'm like, child, please. You heifers are retired. Y'all better get involved in some community projects. Or some of the women that I know that have gone through their change in life are just uh, uh, in a vacuum and, you know, just feeling lesser. I'm just trying to help them understand when you look at me. I don't know. Like you say, where's the expiration date? I keep wondering where it is, too, because... There's more and more getting put right in front of me that I definitely have to do and have to accomplish. And um, I, I, I'm, I'm, I'm in good health, knock on wood. Uh, I certainly have things that I have to be concerned about. Uh, diabetes runs in my family. Heart conditions run in my family. Diet is pretty good. It got a little kind of shaky in the middle of COVID because I came home trying to entertain Norman and making cocktails and making a lot of food and we started gaining weight. I'm like, oh, child, no, that's not going to work. That is not sexy. But I, I think my mental capacity is what pushes me. It's my mental capacity and my heartbeat, what I care about. And that has proven to be the most powerful part of me. Well, Debbie, I want to thank you for the calls, the talks, for allowing me into your orbit. It's had just a huge, huge impact on my life, just knowing you and being allowed in. So I'm just forever grateful. And I just really want to say thank you. I'll give you a big old virtual hug from here. And I can't wait to see you guys. And Brad, it's really nice to be talking with you. You're a wonderful interviewer. Who knew? I always thought you were so handsome. <laughs> that you ought to be in front of the camera. When we first met, we were like, oh, child, who is that? And look, I mean, this is perfect for you. You have a great charisma oh. as a visual journalist. So thank you for inviting me to be on your corner table talk. And um, good luck with this. And I'll see you soon. Thanks, Debbie. See you soon. Corner Table Talk is hosted by Brad Johnson, produced by Brad and Linda Ailes Johnson. Theme music, Life Goes On by Bryce Vine. 
Executive producer, Ken Johnson. Find the Corner Table Talk podcast wherever you get your podcast. Follow, subscribe, rate, and leave a comment. Corner Table Talk is a mean old lion media production.